Listeners are advised, this podcast contains coarse language, themes of an adult nature, and inappropriate thoughts about boy bands. And inappropriate thoughts by boy bands, motherfucker. Okay, well, hello, welcome, and uh, you're joining us at I'm With A Boy Band, the podcast. Um, I am... Oh, no, a, you, you go first. Let's do our festival. <laughs> this is Amy Longson. <laughs> <laughs> Amy Long. Uh, Zoe Linkson. Yeah, we're reporting in for duty. Uh, your resident boy bandologists. Uh, first regularly. and only. Yeah, regularly. Mm-hmm. Here, uh, constantly, persistently. Yes. Here persistently to remind you about how fucking amazing boy bands are. Yeah, they are the best. Do you know what? The longer that goes on, the more I just think they are the fucking best. I love them. I love boy bands so much. They're a good place to be, aren't they? Yeah. I really love them. And like, I work in music and I, people come to me and go, okay, I've got a budget. Who should we suggest for these these clients? And I'm like, oh, I just know about boy bands. <laughs> I don't just know about boy bands, but I'm always like, what about five? What about the Jonas Brothers? I mean, the Jonas Brothers are a little bit more expensive than five, but I'm like, what can we get O Town into? Touch. <laughs> Add like seven zeros. <laughs> anyway. Have we had any update yet on when O Town are coming over? Well, like, we know they're here in October. We know, buttons. yeah, we know October, but Trevor told Lynn, sorry, Lynn, for saying this again Dobbing on air. You in. I'm so bad, I can't keep a secret. Or we haven't spoken about the Pussycat Dolls either. But um, Trevor told Lynn that I they were adding we're dates. we're going to talk about the Pussycat Dolls, let's not name them. Oh, I thought you meant, let's not name who gave us the information. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're not telling you, we're not telling you about the Pussycat Dolls. So, <laughs> you ask us about, we'll do that in the Patreon episode. <laughs> Anyway, we're here to discuss boy bands, not girl bands, and right. this week's boy band is who? Brother Beyond. Ooh. Now, Brother Beyond have come up in previous episodes, mainly because Nathan Moore, in his post-boy band career, dabbled in other musical stuff, so he came up in the 3LS episode, because mm. he worked with um, Lisa Scott Lee and Andy Scott Lee That's on their right. solo careers. Um, he came up in another episode as well, when we brought up his curb calling. Um, yes, I'm going to say in quotation marks is curb crawling. Alleged curb crawling. Yeah, those bits don't come up in this episode because that's much later in his career. Right. This bit, we're just doing his life with Brother Beyond. Great. So, you want me to go straight into it or do you want me to leave a gap for the music? Let's do that. Let's go straight into it. Okay. We're only three minutes in. We don't really think we need a break yet. I'm only halfway through my cigarette. I'm not ready for speaking at speed, right? This is all um, staying in, by the way. <laughs> good, don't care. Uh, Brother Beyond almost never made it. Oh, if it wasn't for a charity auction and a record company grasping at their last straw, the world well, okay, the UK would never have got to live through the <laughs> 80s high point of Nathan Moore's cheekbones. Oh, uh, they were formed in the mid 80s by brothers David and Francis White, with Carl Fish and singer Nathan Moore, who were all in their early to mid 20s. The White family from Highbury in North London were made up of classical musicians. Their father, Ian, was the principal violinist for the BBC Symphony Orchestra, which perhaps explains why youngest son, Francis, had taken up the piano at the age of four. Oh. Uh, in 1984, when he was just 17, Francis, who was now known by his nickname, Egg, 
course. Egg white. Oh, obviously. God. Hang on. This has come up before somewhere as well. I remember yeah. this. Yeah. I think it came up before when I remembered Egg White being in Curiosity Killed the Cat, but he wasn't. Oh, <laughs> he was in Brother Beyond. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, Egg White. Francis, who shall henceforth be known as Egg. Mm. Uh, Egg joined a band called Yip Yip Coyote mm. as a bass player. Uh, now, Yip Yip Coyote consisted of a vocalist called Fifi Coyote and a guitarist called Carl Evans. They released a couple of singles and an album and are classified as cow punk which is a combination of punk and country music. What? No, I'm not having their it. Biggest, their biggest chart success was one single, which reached number 97 in 1984, although they did make several appearances on the John Peel sessions on BBC Radio, which is it's quite mm. a big thing. It's yeah. established for... Yeah. Um, and so Egg teamed up with his 20-year-old brother David, who was a guitarist, and they performed a new group, uh, one with a more commercially viable poppy sound, and they recruited a keyboard player who was Carl Fish, who was 24. Great um, name, great name. It was, it's Fish with a Y. Y- what, Yish? I think there's a serial queer. <laughs> yish! <laughs> I think there's a serial killer who's called Al- Fish Albert with a Y. Albert Fish. Al- oh, Is he was, Fish with a Y? I don't know if it was with a Y, but he used to, Um, he was a child killer and he was like an old man in the neighbourhood that would do all the babysitting. <laughs> he was a child <laughs> killer. Yeah. <laughs> Like what's actually? I think he... that was called Nanny something, wasn't it? Did Who also Al... used to look after the babies. Oh no! I think Albert Fish was a cannibal. Thinking about it, anyway, let's move on. Oh, we digress. If we can find a connection between Carl Fish and Albert Fish, we'll put it in a Patreon episode. <laughs> um, it was Carl who discovered nineteen-year-old Nathan Moore singing in a club in Hertfordshire. Born in nineteen sixty-five, Nathan's older sister Tida was in a reggae band called The Palm Tree. And he would give her lifts to practice sessions until one day the band invited him to join in for a bit. On hearing the siblings singing together, the rest of the band invited Nathan to join them full time. They gigged in clubs and pubs near to where they lived in Ware, Hertfordshire. And it was at one of these gigs that Nathan was spotted by Carl Fish, who most likely enticed him with the big boy band dream of, look, we've got some songs. Do you want to be in our band? And so Nathan dumped on his sister and Brother Beyond were born. And in case you haven't guessed, they were called Brother Beyond because there were two brothers in the band. Oh, Brother Beyond. So Beyond Brothers. I see what they did there. Right. Uh, In theory, Brother Beyond had everything going for them. A couple of very skilled songwriters in Egg and Carl, a classically trained musician in David, and the unbelievably good-looking Nathan Moore. Uh, and think <laughs> is that your words, or have you take you borrowed them from someone else? No, they're my words. Yeah, he uh, was think, fit back then. Okay, think man taking his Levi's off in a laundry. Yeah, because that's he yeah. was like that. He was. He yeah, really reminds me of Nick Cayman. Um, okay. And Nathan was also tabloid fodder because he was dating eighties wild child Amanda de Cadenet. <gasps> she she was famous for sneaking out of her boarding <sighs> school at the age of fourteen and dancing on tables in nightclubs with the rich and famous. I love her. Right. She would eventually go on to marry John Taylor from Duran Duran in 1991. That's right. She's also dated Keanu Reeves, Jack Nicholson, and is now married to one of the Strokes. She is. She has a baby. Also, a baby. It's not a baby anymore. She's got a daughter with John Taylor from Duran Duran. She's got twins as well, but that must be with her current husband. Oh, I didn't know she'd have more. So I found a, a really old Amanda de Cadenet fan site, one of these like geocity type things that had all these old... In- I went down a pure amount to cadenet rabbit hole the other day oh, it was so good so much fun 
She is the absolute best. She's got a podcast yeah. on Spotify. It's not on Apple. It's only on Spotify. But it stemmed from her um, TV show called The Conversation with Amanda DeCazene, where she spoke to women, really amazing women. And it is just the most... It's all on, online. Listened. Oh, go and watch the series. Because she, she started her career out with the word. So she was... She was famous before she did the word. She was famous for just being famous. She was the yeah. probably one of the first famous for being famous people. She was of the same era as Mandy Smith, the thirteen-year-old that married what's his face in the Rolling Stones, Ro- Ronnie Wood. No, I don't I think it was Ronnie. It was um. I know anyway. Mick Jagger, Ronnie Wood. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> one of the other ones but yeah I, I honestly go watch the conversation with Amanda Cadenay online because it's so wonderfully uplifting and it's just you've got to watch it it's brilliant anyway okay um Brother Beyond and all their boy band potential were signed by EMI Records mm-hmm. and in 1986 they released their first single which was I Should Have Lied but it failed to make even the slightest wave in the chart uh, fortunately for them, though, this was a time when record companies had a little more time to give their acts. And in 1987, they had a couple more bashes at the charts with How Many Times and Chain Gang Smile, <laughs> which reached 62 and 57, respectively. Now, I had all these records because I used to, I mean, I used to be obsessed with going to the local record shop and they used to have this 10p bargain bin. And that's where I'd pick up all my Brother Beyond records, would be in the 10p bin afterwards. <laughs> um, so sad. So they reached, reached 62 and 57 which was still not great and something which in this day and age would result in them probably being firmly dropped from the record company. Um, But how many times was experienced some success on continental Europe? And so they released an album in Italy called Get Even. Uh, EMI were not ready to give up on them and they were moved over to an EMI subsidiary label called Parlophone Mm. uh, for the release of their fourth attempt at the charts, which was Can You Keep a Secret? And that came at the beginning of 1988. And Can You Keep a Secret got to number 56. Oh, God. Uh, despite their growing catalogue of teen magazine front covers, there was a little bit of talk on them giving up on the UK altogether and focusing more on the boy band loving Asian territories where oh, they had yes. been experiencing some actual success. Uh, it, <laughs> yeah. It was a bit of a rocky time for them. They'd had four singles and four very expensive videos and there was some expectation that they may get dropped by EMI. Mm who were getting impatient for a little bit of taste of success. Uh, it's probably not helped at this time by the meteoric rise of Bross. They'd gone into number two with When Will I Be Famous at the end of 87 and followed up with Drop the Boy, which also reached number two the same month that Can You Keep a Secret was released. I mean, spoiler for anyone who hasn't watched the Bross episode. <laughs> I mean, it is episode watched, number two. Watched, listened to. Yeah, it's episode number two. Unless yeah. you're going backwards, you've listened to it. Um... By now, EMI and Parlophone had invested a lot of money in their boy band and somehow it was just not happening. Um, Nathan has spoken of this time saying, it's the sort of investment that would not happen today. They need instant results. So I was not thinking of leaving, but I did feel we were about to be dropped by the label. Why do you think that was? That it wasn't happening for yeah. them. I, see, I don't know. I can't put a finger... Like, I, they were part of all the same motions. So Capital Radio used to do this junior best disco in town and they do these like... A couple of times a year, they do these big roadshow things, which normally happens at the Hammersmith Palais. Um, and Brother Beyond were normally the headliner; like they were mm. huge, they were loved. Do you think? I don't know if it was mm. just that they were seen Before as trying their to time ride on, or on, after their time, or maybe that they were seen as trying to ride on Bross's coattails. Mm. 
Mm. I don't know that maybe it happened for Bross and then people were like, and here's this other boy band who kind of have a lead singer that's also very chiselled and very mm. stylized and They're both claiming that they've got brothers in the band. Right. Um, then came the turn in their fortunes when Pop Supremo's Stock Aitken and Waterman oh. sold off their services at an auction in aid of the Variety Club charity. Interesting. Um, the winners of the auction were EMI Records, who paid £20,000 for the pleasure of their time. Uh, and as tempting as it must have been to make their charitable donation and then have Mike, Matt and Pete come around and mow the lawn and weed the herbaceous border. <laughs> uh, instead, Brother Beyond was selected as the EMI Act, who would get the benefits of their record-producing skills. Um, it was actually another EMI, EMI Act called the Bell Stars that the record company had originally tried to use their trump card on. But Peter Warman had met Brother Beyond previously when they'd recorded at the Hit Factory, and he suggested that they work with them instead which was to prove very boy bandipotous for Brother Beyond. Yes. Well, boy bandipotous if you ignore the fact that it was this change in musical direction that caused founder member Egg White to say his goodbyes and leave the band. Oh, bye, Egg White. Um, he was replaced with a session musician called Steve Alexander, who would eventually prove so popular with the fans when he performed with them at gigs that he was asked to join the band permanently. So we now we have Nathan, Carl... Uh, Steve and David. So, do these are they are they is they classic boy band without instruments or are they? No, they have instruments. Right. So we have a keyboardist, two guitarists, and a lead singer. Okay. Um, a very good-looking lead singer. The rest of the band, it's a bit. Um, I don't know who to compare it to. Like Steve Alexander at this time, fairly good-looking, like eighties good-looking. He reminds me, but he reminds me very much of Gary Davies, which I know probably you're like DJ Gary Davies. Never looking back in the eighties, he was considered quite a catch. Oh, um, so yeah, I mean they were guys in their mid twenties who were young and well stylized. They weren't all devastatingly good looking, but then you had Nathan at the front of it, so it didn't really matter that they weren't all devastatingly good looking. Did they have a dr- just look at- Did they have a drummer? Uh, yes, that was Steve Alexander. Oh, sorry, I thought you said guitar. Okay, yeah. Okay. I mean, the thing um, is, is if the lead singer, the person that stands right at the front of the stage, is fit as fuck, no one really looks at anyone else. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, on the day of recording, Nathan arrived at the PWL studios with no idea what song he was about to sing, primarily because the trio of boy band Whisperers had only written it that morning. Um, it took about three hours for Nathan to record his vocals and the song which came out of this collaboration was The Harder I Try which had a kind of Motown-esque vibe Um, it used a sample of the Isley Brothers This Old Heart of Mine um, and it was produced by Phil Harden and Ian Curnow who are both names we've heard before um, I think in the Big Fun episode oh of course Um, with Ian my splash in the cast one can't speak splash in the cast (laughs) <laughs> yeah, with EMI splashing the cash once more they sent the boys off to Milan to film a video which is primarily Nathan running around Milan a bit <laughs> just like running past the cab and then going back the other way nice. and then coming back the other way again nice. uh, the single was, it's important it's important boy band work yeah. the single was released in July 1988 and went straight into the charts at number 2 where it stayed for 2 weeks and sealed brother beyond in the annals of boy band history. Did you say annals? Annals. 
<laughs> it's my autocorrect. For some reason, this document is, definitely doesn't believe I wanted to say the word anal. Yeah, so definitely good. think I wanted to say the word anal. Anal, good. Anal, yep. Um, although Nathan would later recall that when they reached number two, a record company executive brought him down to earth by saying, who plays the number two record? In 20 years' time, when they're playing and on this day, who pulls out the second best record of the week? I mean, not Which me. Which is kind of true. Yeah, yeah. Um, the best record of the week that prevented them from reaching the much-deserved number one were Yaz's The Only Way Is Up oh, well, and the yeah. following following week, Phil Collins with A Greedy Kind of Love. Yeah, both of those are still well-remembered. Yeah. But still well-played. The, the guy had a point, isn't it? Like, no one plays The Harder I Try. I don't... I, now... Can, can you sing it? The Harder I Try... No, so you don't even remember it. The answer is no, no, you can't sing it. (laughs) I'm only joking, I'm only joking. Um, Because Stop Aitken and Walkman appeared to have found the Brother Beyond flip switch to success, EMI asked them to work with the guys again on the follow-up single and they came up with He Ain't No Competition, which Pete Waterman called their message to Matt Goss. Oh. Uh, But more of that in a bit. Uh, He Ain't No Competition blended elements of pop with jazz fusion. Thank you. And hip-hop. Um, apparently. I've listened again. I don't really get all those elements from it. Okay. Um, it was released in September and reached number six. Okay. Um, but their relationship with Stop Aitken and Waterman was to come to an abrupt end when Pete Waterman heard David White being interviewed on Radio 1 making disparaging remarks about the Songwriting Collective. And with that, the hookup ended as abruptly as it began. Oh, come on, mate. Um, and being one to hold a grudge, it oh, ultimately, yeah, totally. ultimately meant that when the Hit Factory organised the re-recording of Do They Know It's Christmas at the end of 1989, so 18 months later, um, the band they set on the path to success were notably absent from the lineup. Right. Um, the lineup featured almost anyone who'd ever walked through the Hit Factory doors. Um, so it was a bit of a major snub for Brother Beyond. It included Bross, Wet Wet Wet, Big Fun, Kylie and Jason, Banana Rama. And the Pasadenas, but yeah. no brother beyond. Oh, so that was so um, that was the re-recording in eighty nine. Yes, yeah, so it originally came out in eighty four, yeah, and yeah. they they did Band Aid two in eighty nine. Mm. Um, but back to nineteen eighty eight, uh, the success of He Ain't No Competition was followed with the speedy release of a new version of their album Get Even. It now included the two additional Stop Aching Waterman tracks. Uh, it came out in November nineteen eighty eight, uh, reaching number nine and going platinum for sales. Uh, next single Be My Twin was released in December reaching number 14 that's if anyone's going to go off and listen to a Brother Beyond record on YouTube Be My Twin's one the Hard I Try is the one that you might remember a bit but Be My Twin's the best record Okay. Uh, they filmed the video of it in Hong Kong with each member of the boy band having a video doppelganger a 1988 split screen predecessor to Lindsay Lohan in the parent trap <laughs> uh, but, but less ginger <laughs> It all feels a bit like, like revengey, or we're getting at Matt Goss, or we're getting at Stop Aching Waterman. It's just constantly like I'm gonna, we're gonna have twins in this one. Like anything they can do. Yeah, Be My Twin was written by um, Carl and David, I think. So it wasn't a stop. Mm. The um, and he ain't no competition was written by Stop Aching Waterman. But I see where you're coming from. What was yeah. the, what was the record before that you mentioned before the twin one? Uh, he ain't no competition. Mm, was it? Thought there was, yeah. I thought there was something else. An album there. called Get Even. Get Even, that one. But that they one. released that. Yeah. Was yeah, that with Stock A little bit grudgy. Yeah, it, it does, was. Yeah. It was all their own music, and then they'd added on the two Stock Aitken Waterman tracks right, okay. into that album. Yeah. That was the album they've released in Italy before. Right. 
Um, uh, they then took their fourth single, Can You Keep a Secret, and remixed it for the next release, so a re-release. Um, this was April 1989, and at its second attempt at the charts, Can You Keep a Secret reached number 22. Um, it was around this time that they entered the world of the boy band Beef, uh, stoking a rivalry <laughs> with Bross, who were current kings of the genre and darling of the business. Uh, both bands took part in the launch of Capital Radio's Help a London Child fundraising oh, event wow, at the Cafe yeah. Royal, where they met Princess Diana, mm-hmm. uh, an event that featured the sale of Margaret Thatcher's handbag for £1,500. <laughs> Uh, Nathan recalls that he thinks he had at some point previously said something negative about Bross and Smash Hits uh, and it was at this event that Matt, Matt set his fans on him. Oh my god. Nathan said, Matt gave the order to attack and all his fans started spitting on me as oh I arrived. Oh my god. They were whacking on the car, spitting on us, shouting obscenities. We had to turn up to meet Princess Diana, having been spat on by Bross fans. Oh, God. Uh, now, I'm taking Nathan's claims with a pinch of salt, though, because in 2008, he spoke to Morecambe's local website, The Visitor. Um, <laughs> and in that interview, he claims the attack came when he was out on the street with his girlfriend. Okay. Um, another Nathan gem from the same article is when he quotes Matt. They're now friends. He's chatted with Matt since they've made up. Uh, and he quotes Matt as telling him he'd never do a Bross reunion. So good insider knowledge there, Nathan. Yeah, really good. So anyway, I was a hardcore boss fan at this time, and I did not get the You Must Hate Brother Beyond memo. Oh, okay. Uh, So it goes to show that before Twitter and WhatsApp, it must have been really hard for a boy bander to incite a mass wave of teenagers in ripped jeans and neck scarves intimidating rival boy bands. Yeah. Imagine boy bands being intimidated by fangirls. I just... Right? Okay. Uh, in October 1989, Brother Beyond released Drive On, which charted at 39, and then a cover of the Three Degree song, When Will I See You Again, in December, which got to number 43. So we're starting the downward part yeah. of our boy band arc key. Um, Drive On and When Will I See You Again was sandwiched... Uh, again, Drive On and When Will I See You Again sandwiched the release of their second album, which was called Trust, and that came out in November 1989. Uh, Nathan Moore later admitted that with the second album they made the mistake of thinking we did not need Stock Aitken and Waterman we wrote the whole of the next album ourselves and it bombed hard Um, which was a bit harsh because Carl Fish had written all but two of the tracks on the first album which which went to top ten so Trust peaked at number 60 on the album charts Um, March 1990 saw the release of their 11th single which was also called Trust and that peaked at number 53 uh, following this, they decided they were going to take a break. Well, kind of, it was a break from the UK as they then headed over to the US to see if they could crack that market. Oh, Christ. Um, How EMI did they get in, on there? <laughs> EMI in the US had decided that the time was right for Brother Beyond to conquer the States because 1990 was apparently a time when American teenagers were just crying out for a boy band in their lives. Oh, you know, yeah, because they didn't cause... have one from Boston. <laughs> right. Um, they released an adjusted version of the album Trust. It had two additional songs on it, The Girls I Used to Know and Just a Heartbeat Away, which had both been produced by Carl Stukin and Evan Rogers, and they had most recently had a hand in Donny Osmond's career comeback. Oh. I'm not sure that's where I'd be pitching my... Let's. Who can we get to make a song that's going to appeal to teenage girls? Who is the dude that did the Donny Osmond thing? Like Donny Osmond's in his 40s at this point. Is he? 
No. What, in, yeah. In, in the, 1990. In 1990? Been... Yeah. Blimey. Must be. We'll go back and check that. We should know. We're bodanologists. Yeah, well. I'll check that. Uh, the, girl... <laughs> the girl I used to know was released as a single in 1990 uh, with a video shot in the Saharan Desert in Morocco and directed by famed photographer Anton Corbin. It entered the Billboard Top 40, peaking at number 27. Uh, it reached 62 in Canada and 48 in the UK. Uh, their onslaught of the US market was followed up with the release of Just a Heartbeat Away as a single in 91, but it failed to make chart for anywhere in the world, uh, and thus Brother Beyond will forever appear on the list of one-hit wonders in the US. Ah, just an update, Donny Osmond yep. in 1990, 33. Mm-hmm. Well, close. Ish. He's not Brother Beyond, though, is he? <laughs> no. Uh, their only live video, Brother Beyond, the Get Even Tour, live 1989, mm. uh, was released in 1991 on VHS. Not, can't find out anywhere why it took two years. Um, so weird. But this was a last-ditch attempt by the power players to make a bit of fast cash off Brother Beyond. And the week they returned home from their three-month tour of the US in 1991, they were dropped by EMI. Oh, welcome home, guys. Um, (laughs) Nathan has since spoken about the legacy of their breakup, and it's a familiar story to us. He has said, one minute I was flying first class, and the next I was on the bus. Uh, I had no money, and then I got a massive tax bill. I had to borrow off my dad just to eat. Uh, He continued, I made a lot of money, but I spent it all. I wish I'd had more guidance in that respect. I came out of Brother Beyond having spent a fortune and I had to sign on. You live a lavish lifestyle. You fly around the world. But if you don't leave enough money for the tax man, he will make you bankrupt. And that's the end of Brother Beyond. Oh. Uh, the most notable part of life after the boy band for members of Brother Beyond is that the two key songwriters, David White and Carl Fish, are no longer involved in creating music at all. Oh. Um, David White studied art at St. Martin's College. Hang on uh, a minute. Hang on, hang on. No. Every <laughs> time I've read this, she like, had a thirst for knowledge. knowledge. She, studied she studied sculpture, sculpture at St. Martin's College. That's where I... Fucking love that song so her much. What did he what study at St. Martin's Yes. He studied art at Oh, St. it's similar. College. Sculpture, come on. Right, it's all the same thing, mate. <laughs> uh, David now paints and sells his work throughout the UK and Israel. Oh. Uh, Carl Fish works for a PR company in London, making calls on behalf of other pop stars. Um, much to the excitement of a lot of journalists who get to ask, did you used to be in Brother Beyond? Um, among his clients are Adele and Coldplay. Oh. Uh, Egg White released an album with model and skateboarder Alice Temple in 1991 called 24 Years of Hunger, uh, under the name Egg and Alice. It was critically acclaimed, but it failed to chart. He then released a solo album called Turn Me On, I'm a Rocket Man in 1996. Uh, the following year, he turned to songwriting itself, starting out on Suggs' solo album, The Three Pyramids Club. Uh, he now works as a songwriter for hire, uh, most notably for boy band aficionados, having been wheeled out to work with McFly. Oh. Um, he's also written that was in the McFly episode it was when they were sent off to work with a songwriter and That's they came right. away going that doesn't work yes. it's not for us that was Egg White wow. um, he's also written with Joss Stone James Morrison Adele and James Blunt in 2004 he won an Ivan Novello award for Will Young's Lee Right Now 
and another for Songwriter of the Year in 2009, which was the same year he was nominated for two Grammy Awards for his work on Adele's Chasing Pavements. Blimey. Uh, he began his own record label, Spilt Milk Records, in 2009. Um, and for the purposes of boy band string theory, Egg has also worked with Duncan from Blue. Oh, sorry, Duncan Take- James from Blue. Duncan James from Blue. Uh, Take That and Brian McFadden. Oh, I didn't. I'm, I know who Brian McFadden is. I'm not sure about the other one. <laughs> right, the one in the middle. Weird. Uh, Steve Alexander returned to working as a session musician, and in 1995 he began working with Duran Duran, where he remained as their main drummer until Roger Taylor rejoined them in 2001. Roger um, Taylor joined Duran Duran. The other Roger Taylor, not Queens. Say, Roger Taylor. There, there was a Roger Taylor two in drummers called Roger Taylor. That's amazing. Yes. Um, Carl Fish. Oh, I've. I've done Carlfish twice. Carlfish works as a music PR. We know that. <laughs> in the late 90s, he headed up Sony's press department, handling Bob Dylan, Bruce Sping- Springsteen. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen uh, and the Fugees. He's now CEO of Purple PR, yes. handling acts such as Beyonce and Adele. Nice. Uh, and finally, Nathan Moore joined another boy band mm. called Worlds Apart who we will hear all about on the next episode of I'm With The Boy Band when they feature as our boy band of the week. Well, there we go. Part one of the Nathan Moore saga. (laughs) Have you met Nathan Moore? I would have met him back in the day. Mm. So I used to do all that hanging around, fangirling outside radio stations and roadshows. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've got a picture with him. It may have been before I ever used to carry a camera around. Yeah. But I definitely met him. He's still. He's I've still tried performing. really hard. Yeah, I mean that's part two, Amy. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I tried really hard to get in touch with him as well because I know, like, he does. It's a really good interview. I thought he'd be great to chat with. Mm. But all the contacts I can find for, if you'd like to book Nathan Moore, call Big Bang. If you'd like to oh, book mate. Nathan Moore, call Singer for Hire. It's... I'll, I'll see if I can help you with that offer. Okay. <laughs> okay, so let's take a little break. I need to down half a can of Diet Coke because I've got wet mouth and we'll be right back with... Um, uh... Pointing. Yeah, Ultimate Boy Band Chart. Nice. Right then, so... Point... Uh, the, ultimate, the Ultimate Boy Band Chart. Yeah. Um, They did okay on UK chart positions because they churned out quite a lot although they didn't necessarily start off very high, they were still charting high enough to score points. Yeah. And then they had a couple, you know, a handful of top tens. Um, and they also had a song out in the US which charted, which a lot of our British boy bands don't do. Mm. They were together for six years. Yeah. They've never reformed. They score quite quite well on the style because they were very stylized, 80s stylized, but they had a, a look about them that made you go, oh. Uh, they lose points because um, Egg left. They score points for their playing instruments. Yeah. Drummer, two guitarists, keyboardists. And they wrote most of their own songs, apart from the two Stock Aitken Walkman collaborations. Almost all of their catalogue was written by them. Um, and post-career, they get good post-career points. They've got, you know, one of them has got two Ivan Novellos and two Grammy nominations. Uh, Steve Alexander has played, you know, for a long time with Duran Duran. Carl Fish is a very big name in PR. It's yeah. all adjacent to what they're doing. Um, and obviously they Nathan Nathan most of most of Nathan's post boy band points will come next week in the Worlds Apart episode. Okay. Um 
but he he has continued his career in boy band so they get pretty decent after the boy band points points even so i just need to move the recording tab because it's right in the middle of the top 10 um okay so i'm gonna do where do you think i need to start at amy uh (laughs) (laughs) top 30 Mm, i'm gonna start at the top 20 oh so the ultimate actually should we go top 30 because you know most of the top 30s for perspective for perspective yeah okay let's do top 30 so at number 30 we have element Mm mm-hmm at number 29, Upside Down. At 28, Lou Perman Boy Band, Us Five. 27 is Edin Adal. At 26 is Fix. At 25, Eurovision Boy Band, Il Volo. And 24, The Herries. At number 23 is The McDonald Brothers. At 22, Arvin Garner. And at number 21 is V. Mm. At number 20, my favourite boy band ever, The Neutrons. At number 19 is Journey South. At number 18, Big Fun. At number 17, Union J. At number 16, LFO. At number 15, God. EYC. Yeah. LFO have num- gone all the way down to 16 already. <laughs> at number 14 is BB Mac. At number 13 is Damage. Mm-hmm. And at number 12 is this week's Boy Band of the Week, Brother Beyond. Wow. Uh, only a few points behind in fact only one point behind number 11 which is human nature uh, that means our top 10 remains the same at 10 another level at number 9 PJ and Duncan okay. number 8 is crisscross. at number 7 boy band brother beyond beef bros at number 6 5 at number 5 is the Jonas Brothers at number 4 is busted at number 3 is Hanson at number 2 is the Bay City Rollers and still flying high on the top of the ultimate boy band chart is number one, McFly. Wow. There you go. They came higher than I thought. Yeah. Much and that's just because just steady release of singles that charted and just kept racking them up some points. Yeah. And the instrument thing. The instrument thing has a big influence. You're doing your own, playing your own instruments oh, and doing your own songwriting. Yeah. That puts you a notch above. So yeah, they did very well. Great. Um, so we'll be back soon. Uh, our next episode is going to be on Worlds Apart, which is the boy band that Nathan Moore joined after Brother Beyond, uh, and yeah, who remains was... with us to this day. Uh, that's right. Do you know, I was always really, like, I couldn't quite place Nathan Moore because I was like, he was in that boy band. And it was like, oh, no, he's in that. Which boy band was he in? Turns <laughs> out he was in them all both. The, all the boy bands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Nathan's come up so regularly that we really had to do him. You can um, come and chat with us about all things boy band on our Twitter, which is at the boy band pod. Our Instagram is I'm with the boy band. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Just search I'm with the boy band. You're looking for the group. Um, Join us, have a chat and a giggle. <laughs> oh, it's a giggle. And you can email us at theboybandpod at gmail.com. If you like what we're doing and you want to support our journey to finding out who is the ultimate boy band ever, you can sponsor us, uh, become an episode sponsor on our Patreon campaign, which is www.patreon.com forward slash boyband. We have packages from as little as $2 a month. Every little bit helps. It helps us buy our books, our pens, our internet. I mean, I don't know the last time I bought a pen, but yeah, sure. Let's go with that. (laughs) Our our 8-track recording machine. (laughs) So yeah, good episode. Good episode. 
We'll be back soon and you will find out where words apart fall on the ultimate boy band chart. But don't forget. It's not the boy band that falls at the top of the chart. Oh, I can't, uh, I, the... I can't do it unless I do the but remember. <laughs> you do the bits you want. We need to do the opposite way around. I need to say but remember. But it's not the boy band that falls at the top of our charts. That's the ultimate boy band. It's the one that was there for you when you needed the most. And got you from there. To here. Boy band you later. See ya.